Welcome to the podcast of Christ Church in Town in Jacksonville, Florida. We are seeking the renewal of all things in Jesus Christ. Towards that end, we are committed to cultivating personal transformation in Christ, an uncommon fellowship of racially and economically diverse individuals, and the flourishing of our neighbors. To join our local body in membership or financial support, visit ChristChurchInTown.org. Well, friends, thanks for gathering with us uh, once again uh, today. Sorry that we had a little bit of audio uh, malfunction at the beginning, but we trust that you stuck with it uh, and can hear us now. Um, sorry that you missed Willie at the beginning. Um, but it is, uh, it's good to be back in this place. It's good to be back with these people. I'm here with uh, the staff of Christ Church in town uh, and a few volunteers working to make this happen. Um, but we do miss you. I was tremendously disappointed uh, when it became apparent today that we were going to need to do worship this way and put off meeting together uh, for one more week. But we've been doing this uh, for months on months now, and, uh, and we do look forward uh, next week to being together. This morning, we are going to continue this sermon series that we've been in on the book of Exodus. We've been looking uh, at the early chapters of Moses's life up to this point. And if you're, if you're just joining us, uh, what we've seen so far is a tumultuous life for Moses. Born uh, into a people enslaved in Egypt, born himself under a death sentence, the Pharaoh, uh, the king of Egypt, had put an order that all Hebrew baby boys be killed immediately on birth. And yet he's been miraculously saved, uh, brought into Pharaoh's house. We saw him uh, lash out in a fit of righteous anger and murder, uh, an Egyptian slave master last week, bolt uh, into the wilderness running for his life, find his wife, Zipporah, uh, there in a well, and become married. And now uh, we pick up in Exodus chapter 3. We're going to be covering uh, the whole chapter and actually a little bit of the next one uh, in this sermon, but I'm just going to read the first 15 verses of Exodus chapter 3. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's word. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire uh, out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians to bring them up out of that land into a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. 
And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of, e of, of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true, and it's given to us in love. Well, Moses, uh, up to this point in the book of Exodus, is a bit of a man adrift. He is... Uh, a man whose name is named uh, because he is a sojourner in a land not his own, right? He's born into an enslaved people. And yet his heart is consumed with a purpose, with a cause. He longs to see his people freed. And yet uh, he has tried so far in vain to get that done. He took matters into his own hands, we saw last week, striking out in righteous anger and murdering one of the Egyptians. And then he goes on the run. We can see Moses alternating between fight and flight. Right? He, he fights, he lashes out in anger, and then scared, he runs away into the desert. Then he fights again, rescuing Zipporah, his wife, becoming her husband. And now he is there in the wilderness, estranged from his people, living with the Midianites, working with his father-in-law as a shepherd. And so Moses is a man looking for a purpose, a man who's full of passion, a man who's full of, of longing for something to happen, for something to change, for some bit of justice and change to come. And yet, uh, without a clear sense of direction and purpose, Moses needs what we all need, uh, which is a calling, which is a purpose to give order to our lives. Uh, Rick Warren was the author of, I believe it's still the best-selling religious book of the last century, a book called The Purpose Driven Life, came out some years ago. I've heard Warren say that he could have almost written anything in the pages of that book, that the content of the book didn't really matter, uh, that that book sold millions of copies on the title alone, that people are so hungry for purpose, so hungry to feel like the direction of their life matters in the world, that they would have bought anything that promised them a sense of purpose. Moses needs purpose. You and I need purpose. And what we learn in this story is that real purpose can only come through an encounter with the God who calls us. It can only come through an encounter with the living God who calls us and then sends us with his power on his purpose. Right, if we search through this life for a cause or a purpose, that's not rooted in an encounter with the living and eternal God, 
then it will come up empty, will be doomed to futility. Neither fight nor flight ultimately work. We need to meet God. This passage can legitimately be called Moses' conversion. Right? We don't know uh, what Moses would have known about God prior to this, but we know that he didn't really and truly know God. God doesn't appear in the story until this, these verses. And God introduces himself to Moses. And so Moses here uh, encounters a converting experience of God. The moment where he meets God personally and the direction of his life is completely and utterly changed. The Christian conviction uh, down to the present day is that each one of us needs a changing encounter with the living God, right? That at the heart of the gospel is this offer of encounter, of real relationship, of a meeting with God, not just learning facts about God, not just trying to pursue the things that we think that God might care about, but an actual living relational experience of the one and only God. And so the question before us is, have you met God in this way? Have you met the living God in a way that transforms every bit of your life? And let's look at the God who Moses meets and the God who we each must meet. We first meet him as the God who both invites us and warns us. He both invites us to come into his presence and warns us before we come into his presence. Look at this. Look at the way that God addresses Moses out of this burning bush. He calls out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. And I love that Moses is drawn to it. He sees the sight of a bush that's burning, uh, and yet it's this continually refueling fire so that the bush is never consumed. And so he goes to it, and he hears God speak to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. He calls out to him to come here. But then he warns him and says, don't come any closer. Right? He says, take off your shoes because where you are standing is holy ground. And friends, that's what God is like. The God who addresses us each by name, the God who knows us, the God who wants to know us, the God who speaks out for us and calls us to come into a relationship with him. And yet the God who is entirely holy, the God whose holiness uh, provokes a problem within us, right? Because we know that we are not holy. We know that each one of us carries the weight of our own sin, the weight of our own brokenness into this encounter with God. And so he warns Moses and he says, take off your shoes because the place where you are standing is holy ground. But friends, the problem between us and God is bigger than our shoes. Right? The problem between us and God is a moral and real problem. Notice, even once he takes his shoes off at God's command, Moses hid his face in verse 6, for he was afraid to look at God. Friends, a real experience of God does fill us with some fear. Right? If the God that you worship doesn't have the capacity uh, to cause fear in you, then it's a clue that it, that it may not be the God of the Bible, right? Each one of us has a tendency to remake God in our own image, to portray God as we like to think of him in a way that affirms what we affirm and a God, in a way that ensures that we're in the right. And we avoid an encounter with a God who might judge us, 
who might look over our lives and find us wanting in some way. And yet our reality is that we are drawn to this God, right? We know in our souls that we are made for a relationship with God, that we are made for a relationship with the Holy One, made for something that transcends this life in this world. And yet, if we are going to come to this God, we have to come out, we have to find a way through this problem of our unholiness and His holiness. To come to terms with the God who both simultaneously invites us into His presence and yet warns us that if we come into His presence, we might uh, be overcome and consumed. How do we do this? Well, the key is actually in this picture, this a way that God has come to Moses in the burning bush. We're told uh, that this is the angel of the Lord that appears to Moses, verse 2. The angel of the Lord is this strange figure in the Old Testament, sometimes hard for us to understand what's really going on. Uh, but whenever the angel of the Lord appears, it's clear that he both uh, is distinct from God the Father, and yet, in another way, is Yahweh, is the true God. That he is, over and over again in the Bible, it seems to be God's accommodation to humanity. That he's the God of the Old Testament, the one and only creator God, who comes in to communicate with people. Angel uh, simply means messenger. And this is a messenger of the Lord who both is a messenger of the Lord and is the Lord. Right? You'll notice that it says the angel of the Lord appears to Moses here, and yet he identifies himself as I am the eternal God. And so we think that what happens here is these are Old Testament appearances of Christ. They're right. Christ is God's accommodation to humanity. Christ is the one who both is the Father and is distinct from the Father, who comes to communicate the Father to his creation, to ordinary men and women and children like us. And so the angel of the Lord appears in this bush as a bush that burns with fire and yet is not consumed. Fire is one of the main uh, ways that God is portrayed in the scriptures. Remember when he appears to Abraham and makes the covenant with Abraham, he appears as a, a smoking fire, a pot of fire. Later on, as he leads his people Israel, he's going to appear as a fire. His fire is the way his presence falls on the temple. His fire is the way that his spirit falls on the early church in the book of Acts. So the fire is a symbol throughout the Bible of the presence of God. And the bush that's on fire but not consumed is, I believe, a forecast and a foreshadowing of the incarnation. Right Here's a bit of God's creation that bears the full flame of God's glory. And yet, instead of being consumed by it as we would be, consumed by God's holy fire, the bush burns without being consumed pointing us to Jesus, the one who would both bear creational reality, flesh and blood, and the fire of God's actual being, that he bears both God and humanity in one person to us. And out of this fire, God calls to Moses, 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 come. And out of this incarnate Christ, he calls to us that there is a way for us to be in the presence of God without being consumed by his holiness. There is a way for us to know God in this world and in this life 
through God coming down to us. If you look at, uh, at, what, Mo- at what he says to Moses in verse 8, he says, I have come down to, to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Right? Our great hope isn't that we will one day ascend to God. Right? That we, through our own efforts, through our own doctrine, through our own figuring it all out and getting it right, will somehow ascend our way to God. But God hears our cry. He sees us in our sin and in our misery. And he comes down to us in order to redeem us in Christ. Friends, have you ever wondered how you can know God personally when your life was such a mess? Moses' life was a mess. He was a sinful man. He was at this point already a murderer. And yet God chooses this man. And he comes near to him and he appears to him. And he discloses himself to him. You can know God in Christ, the one who comes to us. But God in Christ doesn't only come to us. He also sends us out on his mission. Right? He see, he, Christ comes to us. He encounters us. But the way that we come to know whether or not we've really met God, whether we really know God in Christ, is that the agenda of our entire lives gets changed. Right? To know Christ is to come to know his agenda for the world. When the gospel writers describe who Jesus is and the the content of his earthly ministry, over and over again they describe it as the ministry of the kingdom of God. That Jesus came announcing the nearness of the kingdom. In Matthew chapter 4, Matthew describes the ministry of Jesus as saying that he came proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction among the people. Right, Jesus came not just as someone to offer us hope, though he does that. The kingdom, his reign on this world, brings us the hope that we long for. Justice and peace and mercy and reconciliation. Joy, grace, all of it is in his kingdom. But he then requires us to align our life behind his kingdom in seeing it come. And we see that in God's encounter with Moses here. After saying that the cry of his people has come up to God, God says to Moses, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Come, and I will send you. Right? His call is to come, come be with me, come be near me. But then it's to go. I'm going to send you to execute my mission to Egypt. The cry of Israel, the cry of my people has come to me, and now I'm sending you. Right? It's amazing, isn't it? God could have done all of this himself. If God is the kind of God who can appear in a burning bush without it being consumed, if he's the kind of God who can do the incredible things that he's going to do in Egypt, he could have done all of it without Moses. Right? God was perfectly capable, in fact, more capable of doing this without Moses. And yet, he's setting a pattern that God does his redemptive work in the world through his people, through ordinary, sinful, broken people like you and me. So he calls Moses to come. And then he says, go, come to me, and I'll send you. And we see this pattern over and over in the Gospels. 
right? What does Jesus say when he calls his first disciples and he invites Peter to come and follow him? He says, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men, right? He tells his disciples at the ascension to go into all the world and to make disciples. In John, he breathes on his disciples and he says, as the father has sent me, so I am sending you in that same way to be agents of my kingdom, bringers of my agenda in this world. Mark Sayers uh, is an Australian theologian and pastor, a brilliant guy. And he has said this. He said that the, the secular hope of the Western world is that we long for the fruits of the kingdom without the king. And I think that's right on. I think that if you listen to our neighbors, if you listen to the world around us, there's a clamoring for what the Bible describes as the fruits of the kingdom, right? Life in God's kingdom, a life marked by perfect peace and justice and wholeness, the flourishing of our communities. The world longs for those things, but we long for the kingdom without the king, right? We want what Jesus says he's going to bring our lives to the rule of the king to King Jesus. And I think there's a ton of truth to that. And so the church in the midst of this world bears witness to the fact that the, the new world that Jesus is bringing in, that we have to bow our knees and submit to the king, the one who brings the kingdom. And so our witness is that there can be no kingdom without the king. But there is a reverse that's also true. Which is to love the king means to love the kingdom. That you can't have the king without his kingdom as well. And there is a strand of religion, uh, particularly in the individualistic world of the West, that says my faith is a private matter. My faith is an individual matter. It's about what I believe. It's between me and God. And so I want the king. I want this saving faith. I want to know that I go to heaven when I die. But I resist the idea that that faith in the king has implications for the ways that I seek uh, to, to love my neighbor in this world, to seek the kingdom, to seek peace and justice and wholeness and well-being and flourishing and righteousness. And so just as it's true that we can't have the king without the kingdom, we also can't have the kingdom without the king. And so Moses, as he meets God, is called to align his life radically with God's agenda. Not to bring God onto his agenda, to, get, to bring God to help him with his shepherding business, but to align his life with the plan of God. And we know this is true when God reveals his name. This is one of the reasons this passage is so significant in the scriptures, is that it's one of the, the great revelations of God. And when God says his name, when God defines himself to Moses, he says, I am who I am. That's what uh, God's covenant name, Yahweh, what often, if you're reading in your English Bible, will be translated as Lord in all caps. Where you see that Lord in all caps, that's usually the Hebrew Yahweh, which simply means I am. Right? God reveals himself to be the God who is. Simply, it's just the Hebrew verb to be. I am the God who is. I'm the God who was before you were. I'm the God who is and is a guarantee of your existence. I'm the God who will be in eternity future. Right? God is the ground of all being. He's the ground of our existence. He's the ground of this creation. 
God is the God who is. And when you bump up against the God who is, the God apart from whom you would not be, it's not a matter of how can I get, I wonder how I can get this God to give me what I want. Right? It's not a matter of I wonder how God can get me the raise I want at work. I wonder how I can get this God to get me the, the marriage and family that I want. I wonder how I can get this God to give me perfect happiness. No, the question is, I wonder what this God wants of me. Right? I'm not going to persuade the God who is to change his agenda to meet my ambitions for life. I have to arrange my life in order to be within the flow of the God who is, to be in the purpose of the God who is. And his purpose is clear, that he is about the loving reconciliation of all things in the person of Jesus. He is about bringing all men, women, and children into a knowledge of his son, Jesus. He's about the reordering of this world under the reign of Jesus. He's about bringing about the foretaste of that kingdom in and through his church in works of love and truth and justice as we love our neighbors and love our God. To meet God is to gain a new mission for your life. To meet God in this living way is to hand your life over to him and to say, you call the shots, you set the agenda, you cast the vision, you write the mission. But for Moses, there is something that gets in the way. He's met the God who calls him and that warns him. He's met the God who challenges him and sends him. But there's still a problem for Moses. And that is that Moses is plagued with insecurity and self-doubt. He needs to meet the God who empowers him. Verse 12, Moses, uh, Moses says in verse 11, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And God says, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. Moses is somebody, as the chapter goes on, as we get into chapter 4, he's going to present a list of reasons why he shouldn't be the one who's sent to go to Egypt. He says that he's never been much of a public speaker, that he's not very persuasive with his words. He has a stutter. And God says, okay, fine. Here, take Aaron. He'll be your mouthpiece. He'll speak. And he says, well, why should Pharaoh listen to me? And so he says, look, you'll have these signs that accompany you. Throw your staff down and it'll turn into a snake. And then when you grab it, it'll turn back into a staff. Put your hand in your coat and pull it out. It'll be leprous. Put it back in. It'll be healed. You'll even, at your word, turn uh, the Nile River into blood. And so God says, look, you'll have my authenticating presence with you in this mission. Right? Yes, you are not adequate for the task that I have called you to. You don't have what it takes to liberate my people from their bondage in Egypt. But I will be with you. I will go with you. I'll go before you. And because of my power, you'll get it done. Because of my power in you, you'll come uh, to be fruitful in this work. We see again the same pattern with Jesus' disciples who after his resurrection, or after, after his crucifixion, are huddled in the upper room, terrified. Who, when they meet him at his resurrection, begin to have uh, their faith renewed in their Messiah. But what does Jesus say to them? 
before his ascension in Acts chapter 1, Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then, like tongues of fire, the Holy Spirit came and fell on them and empowered their mission. And friends, this is the incredible good news. Right? Not just that God has brought us near to him despite his holiness in Christ, but that the same fire of God's presence that fell on the bush and yet didn't consume it falls on his church. That when you place your trust in Jesus, you not only have heaven and God when you die, that you have the spirit, you have the presence of God while you live. You have the, the living fire of God's presence in you, within you, and through you. You have God himself in your bones, in your life, living his divine life in you and through you. Because friends, we're not much. We're not, uh, remember we said last week from, from Paul's letter to the Corinthians, God didn't choose the, the smartest or the best or the strongest. He chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise, the weak things of this world to shame the powerful. He chose Moses to go up against Pharaoh and all the armies of Egypt. But he said, you have my presence. Brothers and sisters, he sends us into this world. Agents of his hope, witnesses to his gospel, agents of his love and justice and truth and beauty in our world bringing beauty to the ugliness, light to the darkness, wholeness to the broken. And despite our weakness, his power is in us and through us for that end. Praise God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, each and every one of us needs to know you and to meet you, to have that encounter uh, with you that alone can sustain us in a life that matters. And so, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would meet us here. If there's anyone uh, here uh, on this, uh, in this service who hasn't met you in this way, who's not sure if they've had this kind of life redirecting encounter with the living God, Lord, I pray that you would meet them today. Lord, I pray uh, sometimes we wait for an audible voice or a visible sign. But Lord, I pray that those who want to know you, that you would be found by them. Lord, you say in your word that uh, you've left us not to grope and find you in the darkness, but that you have come near to each and every one of us, so that in Christ we can know you. Lord, I pray that we would come to know you. I pray that if there's anyone here who doesn't, that maybe today would be the day that they find you by faith, that they reach out, that they admit their need and place their trust in you. And Lord, I pray that all of us... Uh, would be filled with the fire of your spirit and your presence. Lord, that that spirit would sustain us, that that spirit would guide us as we live in this calling that you've given us. Lord, I pray that we would uh, dare to align our lives with your kingdom, with your calling, knowing that we don't go alone, but that you've promised us your spirit. You've promised us that you are with us to the very end of the age. Lord Jesus, help us in our place and time to be a witness to your kingdom and a herald of your truth. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for 
listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Christ Church in town, please visit our website at ChristChurchInTown.org.